Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 3rd, 2018. On today's show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and joining me today are writers Huai Tranbui. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hello. So, Chris, why don't you tell us about our first item today? You just published this on the site, uh, a, a bit of breaking news. Uh, yeah, so the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts, and Sciences, the Oscars, um, have decided to expel Bill Cosby and Roman Polanski from their membership. Um, you know, I'm sure, as everyone knows, last week Bill Cosby was convicted on uh, th- three counts of sexual assault against one woman, and um, she was the only woman, her name was Andrea Constant, who brought charges against Cosby, but at least 60 other women had accused him of uh, sexual assault over the years. And uh, Roman Polanski in the 70s um, was arrested for uh, having sex with a minor, a 13-year-old girl. And he originally pled the the charges down, and uh, his assumption was that he was going to get um, just probation at the time. But when he learned he was likely going to face jail time, he fled the country to France, and he's basically been living uh, abroad ever since. Um, so, uh, in the wake of the, the Harvey Weinstein scandal last year, the Academy had decided to implement new, uh, standards of conduct 
And um, apparently this is the first time they've actually enacted them. So um, they've expelled both Cosby and Polanski as a result, um, which, uh, you know, a lot of people will say this is overdue and it absolutely is. But it does raise a few questions because while, you know, while Cosby's uh, expulsion makes sense since his conviction was literally last week, uh, Polanski has been a member for a very long time. And in fact, uh, 15 years ago, the Academy gave Polanski a best uh, director Oscar for the, the, the pianist, which they're going to let him keep. So it's kind of um, uh, I'm sure that's going to raise a few eyebrows. The fact that they waited so long to remove Polanski. Yeah. Is that the reason that they're doing this now is just because of this newly enacted set of uh, rules and regulations that they've put in place? That's that's the official statement. Um, they voted on it on May 1st, which is uh, this week on Tuesday. So that's the, apparently the reason why they're doing both uh, Cosby and Polanski at once. But again, I'm sure many people are going to wonder why it took them so long, not just remove Polanski, but so long to implement these rules of conduct that they suddenly have. Right. Yeah. And I wonder what sort of impact this is going to have in terms of other people that it's going to affect, uh, you know, people who have been accused of sexual misconduct and other things. Uh, what all this new code of conduct actually, you know, how, what all falls under under its umbrella? Like how far reaching are these consequences going to be? Are Do we have more expulsions in our near future for these people i don't know i guess it'll be interesting to see but uh yeah i just i wanted to bring that up and start off the show that way let's move to something a little bit lighter and more ridiculous and that is the robin hood trailer uh let's transition from a, a deadly serious topic into something that looks absolutely insane uh did either of you have a chance to see this trailer I did. I watched the whole thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, watching the whole thing sort of seems like a badge of honor almost because this <laughs> thing looks pretty rough, guys. Uh, Taron Edgerton, who starred in Kingsman The Secret Service, is playing Robin Hood this time. And yes, there is a new Robin Hood movie, even though nobody seemingly asked for it or has been clamoring for one. Uh, ben Mendelsohn plays the villain and Jamie Foxx is playing Little John. Um, I, I, Chris, Talk me off the ledge here. What do you make of this? I really don't know. I mean, it, it, I don't know who's asking for this. There, there are a whole bunch of Robin Hood movies in development right now for some reason, and this is the latest one. Um, we just had one a few years ago. It was uh, the Ridley Scott one with uh, Russell Crowe, and this really just seems like just another version of last year's, or maybe it was 2016, I can't remember, the the King Arthur movie. And I think it actually has the same screenwriter too. So I don't know what the hell <laughs> anyone is thinking. It, it literally just seems like uh, executives, studio executives, they sit around, they say, what's a title everyone recognizes? Someone says, what about Robin Hood? And they say, brilliant, because that's in the public domain. They don't have to pay anyone to the rights to it. And here we are with a big... Uh, stupid-looking Robin Hood movie. <laughs> yeah, and it's, I mean, I, I can kind of see why this might look good on paper, because I think the director, whose name is uh, Otto Bathurst, who has directed some episodes of Peaky Blinders, and I think he directed a Black Mirror episode as well, he has talked about seeing this as, like, a, a modern story, even though the Robin Hood legend has been around since, like, the 1300s. Um, he's talking about, you know, seeing the, the idea of Robin Hood as, like, a... Uh, a freedom thinker and a truth seeker, he says, fighting against this militarized, anarchistic uh, society 
as like a a particularly reflective thing that that uh, you know that mirrors what's going on in our own society. But I didn't really see any of that come across in this trailer. It just looks like an excuse for Taron Egerton to jump and spin and fire multiple arrows like five or six times like how many times in one trailer do you need the same shot of the guy doing the same move it's like do you guys remember the movie troy from 2004 with uh, brad pitt and uh, eric bana that it was like this move that brad pitt did in that trailer where he did this big running jump stab and this big fight and it seemed like the trailer uh really loved that move whoever was editing that trailer was a big fan of it and it seems like the same thing's going on here they really love the idea of taron edgerton flying through the air rotating and firing multiple arrows from this bow and arrow um yeah, guys, this movie does not look very good. So uh, let's jump on to our next story, and that is a new prop- project from J.J. Abrams. H.T., tell us about this one. So J.J. Abrams is uh, producing a new superhero movie from, for Bad Robot, his production company, and he's reteaming up with his uh, with the director of Overlord, the upcoming World War II zombie flick, uh, Julius Avery. So Julius Avery will be directing this film called The Heavy, while Abrams is producing it. And it's a film that's supposed to be a subversive take on the superhero genre, but other details are kind of kept under a very tight lid for now. All we know is that Avery will be directing and that the studio Paramount and Bad Robot hopes to go into production sometime this year. So Julius Avery uh, has is kind of getting a lot of hype for Overlord, which made a big splash at CinemaCon uh, last week. And uh, it seems that he is on J.J. Abrams' good side because Abrams has tapped him now to direct another film for Bad Robot. And we know that this project is supposed to be written by Dan Casey, who I think he did some rewrite work on a 10 Cloverfield Lane, which is another Bad Robot production. And he also has a movie called Theory of Everything in the works, which is a an adaptation of a comic book that he wrote about, a, I think it's a sci-fi thriller where a scientist tries to find his wife, his dead wife in a, in a parallel reality or something like that. So Casey seems like one of those guys who's sort of up and coming on the writing side of things. Um, we don't know much more about this plot other than the title, The Heavy. I mean, that sort of indicates to me that it's going to be about, like, the uh, the term heavy is generally used when you're talking about a big bad in a, a franchise or a story. So maybe it's about a villain and maybe that's the subversive angle here. Ashley, do you have any theories about what this could be? Uh, I mean, that's the closest theory that I could think of. It's honestly such a vague description that I have no idea it could be anything. But I wouldn't be surprised if it came from like a villain's point of view. Yeah, and if you guys have listened to the podcast for a while, you probably remember that uh, Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Serretta was part of the wave of hype for Overlord when he was talking about, uh, he, he did some reaction videos, for, or um, reaction podcast episodes from CinemaCon last week, and I remember him talking about Overlord and talking about how incredibly violent that movie looks, and um, it just looks totally nuts. So you can go to uh, HT's article and read some of uh, Peter's quotes about uh, that film there, and we're definitely looking forward to both of these. But yeah, Abrams producing a, a superhero movie. Um, it's not typically a realm that he's really uh, dipped his toe into. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how that goes. But uh, Chris, let's move on to our next piece. And that is uh, the DC uh, Comics Company has started their own digital service and they have a new TV series on the way. Tell us about that. Uh, yeah, so we've we've known that DC was working on their own digital service for a while now. And now we know it has a name. It's called DC Universe. And 
previously, we knew they were going to have a animated Harley Quinn show, and there was a live action uh, show about Lex Luthor and Lois Lane teaming up to solve mysteries, which sounds really stupid. Um, and they, <laughs> so now they've added something new, which actually sounds really cool. And it is a live action Swamp Thing TV series. Um, and James Wan, you know, who directed The Conjuring and a bunch of other horror films and the, the upcoming DC film Aquaman is serving as an executive producer. And uh, he said on Twitter, expect mood, mystery, gothic romance and swamp monsters. And I like the sound of that. I, I want to see a show with all of those things. Nice. So, so yeah, they're developing it. And of course it's based on the, the comic book character swamp thing created in the seventies. Yeah, I saw the Swamp Thing movie probably like 15 or 20 years ago. I barely remember it. I guess I need to, you know, kick that back to the top of my queue and check that one out again. But uh, have you seen that movie? Didn't Wes Craven direct that film? He did. He directed the, the first film, and there's a sequel called Return of Swamp Thing, which is uh, not good. I mean, the first one isn't really good either, but the second one is really bad. But <laughs> yeah. So, and they, uh, Warner Brothers has been trying to get a Swamp Thing movie off the ground for a little while, and they never really did. So I guess they're they're now t- pushing it for this, this streaming service instead. Aishu, does this DC universe sound like something that you'll actually subscribe to? I don't know. Um, the show concepts so far have been a little bit eyebrow raising, but and I'm not actually that familiar with the Swamp Thing, so I think it would take a little bit more for me to subscribe, maybe see some trailers at least. So I'm not sure yet. Yeah, uh, we'll keep our eyes peeled for that as well. Uh, let's move on to our next story, and that is Conan, the Conan O'Brien-led comedy series on TBS, is actually going to become a half-hour show in 2019. There were some rumors in uh, 2017 that changes were afoot for Conan O'Brien's uh, comedy series and a lot of people were speculating that that might mean that his show might turn into just a once a week instead of a nightly show that airs four times a week but that is not the case now we know that the the, the changes that were in that were being rumbled about are that uh, the show is just going to be transitioning from an hour long to a half hour show in order to give Conan some more time to work on the comedy aspects of the series and also to sort of branch out more into the digital realm. He's been producing a lot of content uh, for YouTube and stuff like that 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 has sort of uh, taken off like the Clueless Gamer series. I don't know if you guys watch Conan at all, but he he does this uh, series where he sits down and plays video games and he admittedly knows nothing about video games. So he sits there with somebody who actually does and just, you know, it's basically like watching a Twitch stream or something, but with Conan involved. Um, He's also been doing these really great sort of one-off episodes i think they're called it's called conan without borders and it's where he goes across the country to different or across the world really to different countries and and does um you know location on location shoots and really like explores the area and talks to the people and gets a sense of a place and it's like a conan o'brien travel show so hopefully this means that he'll have have some more time to work on stuff like that as well uh in addition to all of that he's going to be launching a comedy tour where he and a bunch of the stand-up comedians that he's had on the show are going to be going on tour across the u.s uh this year in 2018 so we don't know where yet or exactly which uh, stand-up comedians he's going to be bringing with him but that is going to be uh, coming up soon. So if you're interested in Conan's comedy and you want to see him in person, uh, which he's really great in person. So uh, if you're a big fan of his, definitely 
bookmark that at a Google alert or whatever you need to do to, to check that out. And then also one final thing uh, involving Conan O'Brien, and that is it, it marks uh, the 25th anniversary of him starting the his career in late night TV in, in terms of being a host. So uh, along with all these other announcements comes the announcement that the entire library of episodes from NBC's Late Night with Conan O'Brien and TBS's Conan, all the whole thing are, is going to be made available digitally, so people can search and find old bits and stuff like that. We were already sort of reminiscing a little bit in the Slash Film Slack and sharing some of our favorite videos uh, from Conan's past, so that'll be a really cool thing. That stuff has never been available before in this uh, degree. I mean, you've been able to sort of click around and find some stuff, but um, they're really just like opening the gates and putting all of this there. Um, did either of you guys grow up sort of, uh, Aisha, you're probably a little too young to grow up watching Late Night with Conan O'Brien, but, um... Classic millennial, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I have I, seen clips. Yeah, yeah, I, like, when, when I was in college, I would watch Late Night uh, when Conan was back on NBC all the time. Chris, did you pay any attention to Conan's career in, in your younger days? I did. When I was younger, I loved, um, it was pretty much the only Late Night talk show I, I watched was his original talk show it was very subversive and weird and just really surreal sort of comedy that the other late night shows didn't do and i was so excited when he got the tonight show and then they they basically fired him because he was just too weird for their format and i i will admit though i have sort of just stopped watch i never really watched his, his tbs show but when i was growing up i loved his, his earlier show. Yeah, I watched his TBS show for a while, and then I think it really was the hour length. It just sort of wore me down after a while. It, it's a format that seems so tied to the old ways of doing things, and I'm glad to see Conan sort of evolving and adapting and trying new things. So the idea of dropping it down to a half-hour show should make it more watchable, and they and like you were talking about how he loves this sort of weird off-the-wall comedy. I'm hoping that you know, renewing this deal with TBS, they clearly know what kind of stuff he likes to do. And I hope that means that we're going to see a lot more of that kind of weird, bizarre stuff from him. Cause it's so obvious that he loves doing that stuff when he's really like let off the leash. So yeah, we'll have to be on the lookout for that as it comes down the pike. Let's move on to our next story. And that is a, <laughs> well, this, I don't even know that this is not like a, a fully announced project or anything by any means, but HT, tell us about Ryan Reynolds greatest wish. Well, his, uh, in the lead-up to Deadpool 2, Ryan Reynolds is doing the classic running his mouth, and uh, we're trying to pick his his quotes and see if there's anything that will come of it. Essentially, Ryan Reynolds is on a mission to get a Deadpool Wolverine movie and reunite the two characters that first met in uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Hopefully not that exact uh, iteration of those characters because it was not a great confrontation or a great movie. But uh, now that both Deadpool and Wolverine have headlined some of the most critically acclaimed movies of 20th Century Fox, it could potentially happen. But he just has to persuade Hugh Jackman to come out of uh, X-Men retirement and and stop trying to be the song and dance man he truly wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> I just want, I feel like we just need to let Hugh Jackman be the musical man that he wants to be. He doesn't want to be the veiny, muscular Wolverine anymore. But Ryan Reynolds wants him to do it maybe one last time. Uh, so Ryan Reynolds basically said, uh, I think convincing Hugh of that would be a near impossible impossible feat, but there's no human being I love more than Hugh Jackman in that universe, and equally so as a friend. He goes on to 
praise him. He says, I already miss him as Logan. So I'm one of those guys that whenever I see him, I'm like, come on, man, just one more. Come on, we'll do it together. It'll be fun. So uh, Hugh Jackman actually made a sort of joke about this on Instagram where he posted a video with Deadpool in his hotel room. Uh, and uh, it was a sort of birthday message to Ryan Reynolds. So it was a, it's a sort of cute little back and forth trollish internet thing that they do. And it's been sort of uh, upheld in the Deadpool movies too, where Deadpool constantly makes jabs about Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. So it seems like he's leaving the door open for a possible Wolverine uh, cameo, but unless Hugh Jackman gives the okay, it probably won't happen. So, yeah, I feel like Logan was such a perfect ending to that character that there's no way that Hugh Jackman would mess with his legacy and and risk coming back and potentially ruining it, even though I feel like the idea of this version of Deadpool and Hugh Jackman's Wolverine would probably have a lot of fun together and result in the audiences having a lot of fun as they're watching. But I just think, if anything, we're going to see, like, maybe a cameo and that's it. Chris, do you think there's any chance... Hugh Jackman would risk things to come back and star and uh, reprise his role as Wolverine again. He might, but uh, yeah, I don't, I would like it if he didn't, because like you said, I mean, Logan ended things so well. I just feel like having him to having him come back and make, you know, fart jokes with Deadpool would just be really depressing to me. Like <laughs> just, just let it, let him go out on that high note. Cause uh, that's such a perfect ending Logan and to have him come back for, jokes just seems wrong yeah yeah uh so speaking of something else that kind of seems wrong harvey weinstein wanted to fire peter jackson and hire quentin tarantino to direct the lord of the rings chris what is going on with this oh yeah so there's a a new book coming out um by ian nathan is the writer it's called anything you can imagine peter jackson and the making of middle earth and it's all about uh you know peter jackson's quest to get the lord of the rings movies made and uh, initially um the weinstein brothers at miramax had the rights to the lord of the rings book so um peter jackson was developing the project there and you know as we all know peter jackson wanted to do these as multiple films but uh harvey weinstein thought that was a terrible idea and he wanted this to be cut down into one film basically all the books in one movie and he he got to a point where he literally was threatening peter jackson saying you know if you don't cut this down to one film i'm going to fire you and bring in quentin tarantino because uh, harvey weinstein and quentin tarantino for years had a very good working relationship um as we all know that didn't happen and eventually uh miramax sold the rights to lord of the rings to new line cinema who let peter jackson turn it into three films but at one point this was a threat i mean i don't know how serious the threat was i don't even know if quentin tarantino was aware of this being said about him but this was something harvey weinstein put out there he said you know do this or i'm going to fire you and replace you with tarantino yeah i really want somebody to ask tarantino about this and see if it was something that he knew about and and if he had like a take on this material because i sort of ht can you imagine what a tarantino directed lord of the rings franchise would look like you're a big fan of those movies right yeah i am and i thought i feel like it would be sacrilege almost uh peter jackson has such a good take on lord of the rings and tarantino as great as a filmmaker he would he is he would definitely not fit with the tone or, or the story uh, at all. He would create his own version of Lord of the Rings, which is, it, which may have been good hypothetically in some alternate universe, but it wouldn't be Lord of the Rings. Um, I, it's kind of how I feel about Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie, but you know, 
<laughs> that's another story. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. Like the, you know, we haven't seen anything from his directorial career that would really indicate that he's like a sci-fi guy. So I wonder if he has or had or would have had in this weird, you know, alternate universe, a fantasy movie sort of up his sleeve just waiting for the opportunity to come out. Chris, do you think with as much of a cinephile and like a uh, voracious consumer of all types of movies that Tarantino is, do you think he could have turned out a, a Lord of the Rings movie that would have been satisfying for audiences? I don't, it's so hard to, I mean, uh, I would love to see a Tarantino fantasy movie, but I'm, you know, I feel like I'm, I have so much in my mind from Lord of the Rings is based on what Peter Jackson did with the, you know, the property. I can't imagine anyone else doing it. I mean, those films have such like heart to them and Tarantino as great as a filmmaker is, he doesn't really do heart. So I can't like, I, he would probably just end up making much crueler movies, which might've been technically good, but they wouldn't have been as good as what Peter Jackson did. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Tarantino would have been capable of playing it straight uh, as Lord of the Rings would have uh, required. Also, I wonder if this was just like a bargaining chip on Weinstein's part, because when this, when the Lord of the Rings movies were first being made, this was the late 90s and Tarantino was the hottest director at the moment. So it might have just been like he pulled a random director's name out of this list and was just like, yeah, let's do Tar- Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. What do you think, Peter Jackson? Yeah. Man, I really, I mean, if anybody out there is uh, in the industry and is planning on interviewing Tarantino anytime soon, definitely ask him about this because I want to follow up on this as soon as possible. But uh, maybe somebody will ask him during the press tour for his upcoming movie. I think it's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Is that right, Chris? Uh, yeah, that's that should be due out uh, very soon. So, yeah. Cool. All right. So uh, our next story involves the box office tracking numbers for Solo, A Star Wars Story. This is the new film that stall, uh, stars uh, Alden Ehrenreich as the title character. And uh, Deadline got its hand on some industry projections, not Disney's internal projections, but ones that come from like outside sources, I guess. I'm not exactly sure where these come from, but uh, projections involving Solo's opening weekend. And they say that the movie could pull in more than $170 million domestically from Friday to Monday because the movie opens during Memorial Day weekend. So you sort of factor in Monday as like a a long weekend there. Uh, That would make it the highest grossing Memorial Day opening weekend ever, putting it above Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End and Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull by like multiple millions of dollars. Like World's End is currently the record holder at 139.8 million. And this is projected at this point to do 170 million domestically. So that's a pretty significant jump. And it's also pretty early on still. The movie comes out later this month on May 25th. But this is the first industry projection that we've seen in terms of how much the film could possibly make and generally these things tend to fluctuate a lot as we get a little closer to the release and Disney starts spending more money on TV ads and stuff like that to sort of get the word out there. I know we've t- we've done our own version of the summer movie wager, so I want to just jump to each of you and and see I-, I don't remember exactly where you guys placed Solo a Star Wars story on your list, but does does a, a big opening like this help or hurt your chances to win in our summer movie wager. HC, do you remember? Well, mine is a wreck because I'm pretty sure I put Solo at number four for me. So I will probably lose at this point. I don't know. I still have Infinity War at number one, and 
as everyone does. So I don't know. Maybe I'll be on the equal footing with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. and Jurassic World <laughs> Fallen Kingdom doesn't have any projections yet, and Incredibles 2 doesn't have any projections yet. Chris, what do you think? Uh, I had Solo at number two, so I'm doing pretty well here. Yeah. Um, well. well, that's nice, Chris. <laughs> uh, I, I can't wait to win. What do I win? A toaster or something like that? Is that the? <laughs> I, I meant to ask you guys about this, and we'll have to get we'll ask Peter Soretta and see what he has to say. But I think the slash film cast team they do this thing where I don't think we talked about the stakes of the the, the prize, I guess, for the summer movie wager. But their stakes are whoever wins gets to decide. Uh, make everybody else watch one piece of something, a piece of entertainment, a movie or TV show or something, as long as it's like, I think it's like three or four hours is the, is the max. So you can't like watch an entire, you can't force people to watch an entire season of a television show. But um, yeah, that'll be interesting if we uh, end up keeping those same things. So you guys better start, or Chris, especially at this point, just better start thinking about what you would have the rest of us watch if you end up taking this down. Um, let's talk about our last item here. And this is basically just an excuse, uh, for Chris to talk about a show that he likes a lot that I know nothing about. And so it's, it's sort of selfish on my part. Cause I just want him to explain what the show is for me. Cause I haven't really heard of it. It's called channel zero and the fourth season is on the way. Chris, tell us what's going on. Oh yeah. So channel zero is a, a horror anthology series on the uh, sci-fi and I wish more people would watch it because it's so much better than, the much more popular horror anthology series, American Horror Story, which I generally think is is a bad show. But Channel Zero is great. Um, Channel Zero, it, it draws inspiration from Creepypasta. I don't know if you know what that is, and I don't like that name. But, oh, uh, internet. Yeah, cool it, internet. It's, it's basically, uh, it's like urban legends that get spread through the internet. So that's what Creepypasta is. And so... Um, Every season takes a, a different creepy pasta story and turns it into uh, like a six episode season. And um, so they just announced season four, which is going to be called The Dream Door, and that's going to come out later this year. Um, the way they do Channel Zero is they, they end up shooting two seasons back to back. So the the most recent season, season three, just ended uh, a few months ago, like maybe two or three months ago. So there's going to be two seasons this year. And there were, I think there were two seasons last year too, but it's just a very good show. It's creepy. And, um, at six episodes, it never overstays its welcome. They, they, they get everything done, you know, in a timely fashion. And, uh, yeah, if you're not watching it, people out there, I, I highly recommend you check it out. Uh, you know, like I said, it's on sci-fi and uh, I'm not sure when the new season will air, but you can definitely check out the other seasons. Yeah, I've not seen it, but the idea of six episode seasons sounds insanely appealing to me as somebody who often finds that TV shows overstay their welcome. So this seems like also, something that would be easy to catch up with. I also didn't know about the creepy pasta angle, which intrigues me because I remember sort of lurking on there when I was younger and being very disturbed by the stories, but being sort of morbidly curious about them too. Like I think Slender Man uh, originated on the creepy pasta sort yeah, of I think you're right. channel. Yeah, he- like, area yeah that's correct yeah they haven't done that yet but i guess he's getting his own movie which got bumped i don't know when that's coming out now the slender man movie (laughs) all right so before we wrap up for the day right before we started recording uh ht i was talking to you a little bit about what you've been up to recently and you're telling me that you're playing the harry potter mobile game i know we've written about that on the site we wrote up some of the trailers and sort of let people know like hey this is available to download now what has your experience been like playing this game 
It's been both addicting and infuriating. I was actually just kind of playing it now. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very much a mobile game in that you can play it for like 10, 15 minutes at a time. And it's very uh, low stakes and just kind of a lot of pressing um pressing the tapping the screen and or answering random Harry Potter trivia questions. But the most frustrating thing about it is that it really only allows you to play for that extended amount of time because there are a lot of microtransactions that take place in it. Mm. And microtransactions are essentially um, if you run out of like energy or lives or something like that, then you have to either like wait a certain amount of time before those lives kick back in or you have to buy them essentially through the app store. And there's like a, there's a time sort of stamp going on there. So if you wait too long, then you like lose. So there's that sort of frustrating uh, dilemma that you have. And it it is a almost a game that doesn't want to be played in a way. But there is actually a pretty interesting overarching mystery because you play as a unique uh, original character. You get to make it as like a Sims essentially and make yourself. So you play in like a new storyline that's made for this game and your brother is someone who was expelled from Hogwarts and he was trying to uncover this mystery and then you go there and try to solve that mystery as well and make friends and do tasks and stuff so it's got a pretty fun and compelling uh, storyline to it it's just that the gameplay itself is pretty frustrating and how much trivia is there in the game how much is that sort of baked into the gameplay it's actually it's not that much the questions are pretty standard there are a few that are like uh, kind of out of left field for like book readers or people who were really into Harry Potter trivia, but it's not as much as say uh, Pottermore when they first debuted their uh, trivia part back when they were doing the beta testing. I was also there too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it's pretty easy trivia except for like one or two that stumble that make you stumble. But I, I don't know. It's a fun game. It's good to play when you're kind of waiting for something or uh, trying to waste time, especially if you're, uh, and sometimes when you're trying to waste time away from the game, you end up doing work. So it's <laughs> it's good in the long run for everyone, I think. It's just, I wish that their microtransactions weren't so aggressive. And of course, it's always great to play during uh, the recording of a podcast that you're Yeah, on. sorry so, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what is the name of this game? It's Harry Potter Hogwarts something? Mystery. Hogwarts Mystery. Okay, and that's available mm -hmm. to download uh, right now through like the all the usual places, the app stores and whatnot. So you can check that out if you're interested. That's going to bring us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more about all the stories that we talked about at SlashFilm.com and linked in the show notes. Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Remember to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. And also, don't forget, this is very important, rate and review the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't done yet that and you are a big fan of the show, please take a couple minutes to do that. It helps us out in terms of placement and getting us in front of more listeners, which really helps us out. Spread the word about the show. Uh, before we finally wrap up, where can people find more of your work online? HT, let's start with you. I'm every day at SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at HTranBooey. And Chris? I'm also at SlashFilm.com. I'm at Twitter at CEvangelist413. And let me just plug again, my latest 21st Century Spielberg column is now up. Uh, it's it's pinned to my Twitter profile. It's on SlashFilm.com. Please read it because I live for your uh, 
reading and retweets. <laughs> awesome. Yes, uh, I will link link to that in the show notes. So that's yet another way that people can track that down easily. It's really there. good, guys. So yeah, it is very good. So definitely. If you haven't read that, check it out. Uh, my name is Ben. You can find me at SlashFilm.com. You can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow.